Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in the Twin Cities, it's time for Minneapolis-St. Paul Business Radio. Now, here's your host. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Minneapolis-St. Paul Business Radio, the voice of business in the Twin Cities area. I'm John Ray, and we have a great guest. I've been looking forward to this one, folks. Uh, Diane Rucker is with us. She's the executive director of University Enterprise Labs. Diane, welcome. Thank you very much, John. It's a pleasure to join you this morning. Yeah, it's a, great to have you. So let's talk about University Enterprise Labs. Uh, how are you serving folks out there? Well, University Enterprise Labs, uh, we shorten it because that's a bit of a mouthful. So <laughs> I could barely UEL. get it out myself. So I thank you, <laughs> thank you for that. Yeah, UEL is a little easier to say, um, but we are an incubator for startups in the Twin Cities. We also serve Greater Minnesota, but we work specifically with startups that work in biotech, in healthcare, health security, med tech, and even in food agriculture because there's a really extraordinarily a strong overlap between those fields, but kind of our reason for being is lab space for startups. For technologies that take a lot of time to develop, you need a space to prove them out and a supportive network while you're doing it. So UEL is located very much in the heart of the Twin Cities. We're in St. Paul, but we're right on the western edge, so you could pretty much throw a rock and land in Minneapolis and vice versa. And we are between the two campuses of the University of Minnesota, between the St. Paul campus and between the East Bank campus. Now, there may be some confusion, given your name, about your involvement with the University of Minnesota. Uh, why don't you explain that? Sure, I'd be happy to. So UEL is independent, despite the fact that we have university in our name. We were founded out of the University of Minnesota back in 2005. But we were founded as an independent incubator, so we do not receive funding from or support from the University of Minnesota. We do have a very close connection with them, and about a third of our startups are technology commercialization that comes out of the Venture Center or out of the Technology Commercialization Group. And about a third of our startups are related to larger businesses who are choosing a place to develop a technology off their campus or in a slightly different way. We like to think of it as sideways rather than a directional. And then about a third of our startups are entrepreneurs with an awesome or crazy idea. People who want to try something and see if it works and need a space to work on it. So let's, before we get into some of the details of how you serve startups, uh, let's talk about you. I mean, t tell us a little, a little bit about your journey and what what you've done, you've done a lot in the startup community over a long period of time. Uh, to talk a little bit about that. I have. I would say it's been a very uh, bizarre journey. I think it's probably a good way to describe it. <laughs> Most startup journeys are. so. <laughs> Which is what makes me, I think, uniquely qualified and uniquely enjoying the startup community. Mm-hmm. So my background is engineering, and I have a, a master's and an MBA, or sorry, a master's and a BS in materials engineering, uh, one from MIT and one from University of Michigan. And that's really where I thought I would spend most of my career. Um, so I worked in the automotive industry for a while, 
and ended up moving to Minnesota to join the high-tech industry. And what I found there is a couple of things quickly. First, I moved rather rapidly into management. So engineering is not something that I've done for probably about 25 years. Um, Second is that engineering and sciences tend to teach you to go very deep on something. And what I found, my skill set really leaned towards stepping back and understanding the big picture and not necessarily how to solve the problem, but are you solving the right problem? And so looking at what I was doing, which was more operations, program launch, platform management, and looking what my training was, I said, I need to go back. I need some more. I need to learn a little bit more of what I don't know. And so I chose to go back um, to MIT Sloan for an executive MBA. And John, there's a little bit of a story there too, because uh, my plan was to go back in 2011 as part of the class of 2013. And I put my application in and went to campus to do an interview. And they asked me what my experience with entrepreneurship was. And I said, well, I'm not an entrepreneur. Um, I, I've worked in large businesses and I've never started one of my own. And I said, thank you. And, uh, and I left and went back to Minnesota. And a couple of months later, I got the thank you, but you're not part of the class of 2013. Ooh. So uh, having not gotten accepted actually was a turning point for me in my career. Because I kind of looked back at myself and said, were they right? Was this not the right place for me? Or were they wrong? And do I need to change their minds? And I decided that they were wrong. And so I turned around, reapplied, uh, talked them into it, and ended up joining the class of 2014 a year later. Mm -hmm. But I think having failed the first time around gave me a new appreciation for it. So that when I arrived at campus... It was a full-time MBA program, but also a full-time work experience. Mm-hmm. So I flew out to Boston every three, three to four weeks or so. When I arrived on campus, I was determined to get everything I could out of it. And so I jumped into the ecosystem, um, talked to people that I probably wouldn't have otherwise, learned about the startup ecosystem, and along the way decided this was a lot more fun than what I was doing and I wanted to change my career. So I was fortunate uh, very quickly when I graduated in 2014, I was fortunate to be offered a role to work with MIT and Harvard on a regional innovation project that looked at startup ecosystems. Oh, wow. Um, So I guess they're glad they changed their mind too, right? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's mutual, John. Um, I think when I look back as well, I became a better candidate for the class because I went through that, is this the right place for me? And if so, what am I going to do with it? Um, so I think that ties back a little bit to an entrepreneur's journey, because sometimes you learn the most from the things that don't work, from the mm. failures, from the pivots and the sideways journeys that turn out to be more impo- important than you thought they were going to be. Well, I could go down a bunny trail on that one, but... <laughs> <laughs> but I think we all could. Yes. Yeah, but I, uh, talking about failure and how we seem to celebrate failure, sometimes in great ways and sometimes in not so great ways. But I'm going to try to refrain from that. But but <laughs> but but we'll we'll we we'll, we'll we may come back. We'll see. But you you talked about your your experience there in uh, startup ecosystems, um, correct? And so l- let's talk about what that looks like 
in the Twin Cities and how that's changed over the past five to 10 years? Uh, it's been really exciting to see that change. Let me describe a startup ecosystem first, which I think will give the context as to what changes I see and why they're so important. First, the key elements of the startup ecosystem are not just the entrepreneurs, but you can't get along without them. And I view an entrepreneur as someone who has a passion for change, not necessarily someone who starts a business. So you see people with a passion for nonprofit work, for mission-related work, as well as for business and social impact. Um, the entrepreneurs are the first key piece, um, but they can't survive without four other key elements. Corporations who either support them or block them. Education, so they can learn what they need to know. Risk capital, because funding is absolutely vital at the right stages of your enterprise. And then finally, government. Is it an easy place to start a business? What's the tax structure like? Is there funding available in form of SBI grants, SBIR grants, or small business loans? So those five elements, the entrepreneurs, the corporate, the government, the education, and the risk capital are what really make up a startup ecosystem. Now, the contrast between a really strong ecosystem and one that's really growing or maybe hasn't taken off yet is not the individual elements, but it's the connections across the ecosystem. Does somebody in venture capital know um, a number of different startups? Have startups been through this before? Have they, do they have connections to corporations who could help them out? Um, are they, is the government actively helping out and are they connecting them with capital? So those connections in a place like Boston are extraordinarily strong. And Boston and Massachusetts has done a really amazing job of nurturing those. And through the time that Boston has become a really strong ecosystem, you see that merger of government and public, public-private partnerships, um, funding available, and I think even more important, the visibility of those connections. So being in Boston, being in Cambridge, you literally trip over entrepreneurship everywhere you go. Mm. You walk down the street to, to get some sushi and two people you pass are talking about this, the company they've started. You walk through the corridors on campus and there's, um, want to build a startup? Like, notices all over the place. Mm -hmm. um, that is a key difference between what we've had in Minnesota. And let me talk about how that's changed. Um, earlier, we talked about um, some of the challenges with taking intellectual property and commercializing it and how easy or difficult it is to do that as part of a university setting. And I think if we look back about 10 years ago in the Twin Cities, what we had is individually strong elements to that ecosystem, a strong but maybe more inwardly focused university. Corporations that were also strong and growing, but not necessarily focused as much on the community. Um, entrepreneurs, in many cases, who would go outside of the Twin Cities to start a business, not believing that the support was there inside. What's happened over the last, really about the last six to seven years, has been an extensive crossover across that ecosystem and a building up of connections. We've brought a number of accelerator programs to Minnesota. Techstars is probably one of the most well-known. Generator focuses on the Midwest and on small concierge type work. Um, 
From the Techstars and Generator grouping, they've added some additional levels of accelerators. So Generator, for example, includes the G-alpha, which is, I have an idea, but nothing more. The G-beta, I've got a business idea, but I don't know how to pitch it yet. And the Generator flagship program, which is, I'm ready to launch, I'm looking for investors, and I've got a product. Um, I need the tools to be able to scale my business. So having that across the ecosystem means that the path from idea to improving it to a launch phase is a lot simpler and a lot faster. And the support is there in a way that it wasn't six to seven years ago. There's one additional um, strength of the region that I've just been really impressed with. And I'll contrast this with my experience growing up in the Detroit area, where the key cluster there is automotive. Uh, there is a series, almost everyone in, in the region, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, was, was focused on automotive in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Minnesota, in particular the Twin Cities in greater Minnesota, has a strength of clusters where people work in retail, in healthcare, insurance, in logistics, um, just even to a start, and people move between those. Medical devices is another very strong cluster. What happens when you move between those clusters is you get a lot of ideas moving from retail to medical device, to healthcare, to insurance, and the overall region becomes stronger. You know, I'm, I'm very curious about, well, a number of things you said, because that was, that was awesome, Diane. Thank you. But w- what you're talking about in terms of measuring the strength uh, of the start, startup ecosystem is connective tissue and, and measuring that is a qualitative thing, right? I mean, it's not, it's not quantitative. Like, uh, you know, the, the, the media newspapers was like to do rankings and all that kind of thing, uh, which don't really capture what you're talking about. Right. And it can be both John. Okay. Um, so let me let you finish your question. No. I'll happily yeah, no, but no, go ahead, because I think you know where I was going. So go ahead. I, I think I do. So yeah. we treat it as qualitative, more as uh, as Boston good, maybe somewhere else not so good. Mm-hmm. And when we start to look at quantitative measures, it it not only brings a little more clarity to what we're talking about, a little less of a nebulous overall ecosystem, and a little bit more of specifics that we can tie to businesses, to job creation, to education and workforce development, as well as to those little more nebulous connections that we've described. So a few of the key metrics that are really important. Let me start with two-year and five-year business survival rates, which is one where Minnesota consistently ranks in the top three to really the top one to three across the states in the U.S. The reason the two-year and five-year survival rates are significant is because when someone starts a business in Minnesota, they do their research ahead of time. They think about it. It's a little less, hey, I think I'm going to start a business tomorrow. And a little bit more of, I've been thinking about this a long time. Let me talk to a few people. Let me get some ideas. Let me figure out how I'm going to do this. And I'm going to put all the pieces in place so when I do this, I not only minimize the risk, but I improve my chances for success. So two-year, five-year survival rates are typically tracked by the Department of Employment and Economic Development, DEED. 
Um, a couple other metrics that are key, uh, job creation is one of those, but it's even more specific than that. It's not job creation overall, it's job creation from new and growing businesses. And I'll distinguish that between two different types. There's a small and medium enterprise, which is like your local dry cleaning store, maybe your favorite local burrito store, or uh, there's an awesome place in the Mall of America called Mini Waffleus, which mm. I just love. Mm -hmm. So small and local businesses that are not necessarily designed to grow outside of the clusters, small and medium enterprises. I'll contrast those with innovation-driven enterprises where you're starting maybe a little small. It may take time to develop that innovation, and it may take some money to develop that innovation, but you're expecting it to scale. So tracking job creation by those types of businesses, as well as tracking the two-year and five-year survival rates by each of those types of businesses gives you a much better picture of the strength of the ecosystem. Folks, we're chatting with Diane Rucker. Diane is the executive director of UEL, or uh, University Enterprise Labs. Diane, uh, so let's let's talk a little bit. I, I want to talk more about the, the general overall environment, but let's let's get into what some of the specifics of UEL and how you serve startups. What you mentioned, the kinds of startups you support, which. I guess to put it broadly, are heavily research-oriented, heavily lab-oriented, if you will, if I can mm -hmm. say it that way. Um, talk about how you support them. Yeah, great question, John. So UEL is mostly lab space for startups. That is really our reason for being. But even more than that, what a startup needs is kind of it changes through the cycle. If it's an early-stage research commercialization you need space to prove out the technology, and you need the resources of a really strong ecosystem to be able to help, help out there. And that really speaks more to the technical ecosystem. As the idea grows, I would say it changes from being about proving the technology, really shifting to company creation. And that's where it's a challenge for a lot of people who work primarily in science or engineering to make that leap to what is a business need the technology's good, yes, but who are my customers? How do I talk to them? How do I find them? How do I understand what they need? So it really shifts the focus to customer discovery, to market research, and to outreach and visibility, which are very uncomfortable for scientists and engineers. Mm. It's not part of the training. The training is to go deep to solve the problem. The instinct is to go deeper for the things that you know, not to step back and talk to others and find out what you need. So UEL, through a lot of our connections, helps to facilitate those conversations. And two of the main sets of connections that we have, in 2019, UEL joined the BARDA Accelerator Network. BARDA is the Biomedical Research and Advanced, uh, Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, which is as much of a mouthful as University Enterprise Labs. Um, BARDA is a government agency that works under uh, the Department of Health and Human Services. Most of us have heard about them through the need to bring vaccines very rapidly to market to Operation Warp Speed. 
BARDA selected UEL and Generator in partnership as one of their 13 accelerators. And what that does in terms of support for startups is it allows us to have a better window into what federal funding opportunities available, particularly for technology-based startups. It also allows us to connect our startups in healthcare, medtech, health security with BARDA areas of interest. So it builds a stronger connection between BARDA and the Twin Cities in greater Minnesota, and then between Minnesota and the federal funding opportunities. And then one other key piece of support in 2020, UEL joined GAN, which is a global accelerator network. And what GAN provides is specific resources for startups that are not just regional, but really global. So there are opportunities to connect with regional ecosystems around the world, to maybe connect a startup with an investor network or a corporate partner that they might not have access to. And one of the most important resources that I believe GAN offers is mental health and wellness resources mm. for entrepreneurs, because it's really hard to be a lone entrepreneur. Sure. And you need that, that appreciation for just how hard it can be when you get stuck and somebody to help you get out of it. Wow. That's uh that's great work. Um, so what, what are some of the, I guess the biggest issues, I won't call them mistakes, but ju just some of the biggest, uh, uh, issues that you help startups with, I mean, the, what are the most common right now? I mean, you mentioned making this move from, uh, I guess the, uh, a comp, uh, a tech, a project that's focused on technology, let's call it to creating a company out of that. You talked about that, but get a little more specific about some of the issues that are involved in that, uh, in that journey. Great. Um, I'm actually going to tie it back to a class that I teach at the university of Minnesota. Um, so that's a completely separate appointment from UEL. It's just something that I love and that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. The class itself is Leadership and Business Basics for Scientists and Engineers. And I use many of the same principles that I work with juniors and seniors and graduate students, as well with the startups that I work with with UEL. So the idea is that in the class, uh, each team of students comes up with a set of innovations, usually about two to three. And then their task is to step back to talk to people about the pain points and the gains that you can get from the value you're, you're introducing. And then talk to customers about what the market's like, how important it is, how you would build this into a business. The same basic principles apply to startups and technology. So as companies come to us at UEL, um, a couple of things that we encourage them to do very early on. Um, first, to set up some social media platforms to get some visibility to what they're doing. And what that does is it helps you build credibility in the world, not only when you're seeking investors, but getting people excited about the work you're doing and why it matters. It's a little bit of training in seeing what people respond to. And I think any of us who've done any work at all with social media know that sometimes you put something brilliant out there and no one looks at it. And sometimes you put an off the cuff comment about may the fourth be with you mm -hmm. and people jump on it. Um, so it's understanding that why visibility is important 
how to build credibility in a business marketplace as well as in a technology field, and then the, the how to do it. So there's some very simple tools out there that make it much easier, but it takes time to learn those. So visibility, I think, is one piece of it. A second piece of it is that many startups believe that the way to start is to raise money. And that actually can be the biggest problem that many startups have. The reason is that when you have a very limited amount of resources, you have to pick and choose very carefully what you're going to do. You have to decide on what really matters in building your business versus what's just interesting. If you suddenly get funding that's far beyond what you expect, uh, let's say you're looking for $250,000 worth of funding to work on the technology, to have a lab space, to develop it. Sounds like a lot. An investor comes in and says, I'm going to give you $2.5 million. Sounds awesome. You can hire all of the people that you've been thinking about hiring. Instead of focusing on one area where you're really good, you might test out five different areas and see which one you want to go after. And what typically happens is that companies tend to scale faster than they're ready for without knowing what it is they do really well. So fundraising too early can be a challenge. There's a balance there because if you fundraise too late, then you might miss your opportunity. So I would say those are two of the, the most challenging mistakes that I see startups doing. Not putting enough focus on visibility building their brand, building their customer base, and raising money before they're ready for it and not knowing what they're going to do with it. Hmm. So how does UEL help with the visibility piece of that? Because I can, I can see how being part of UEL could really be helpful uh, with visibility and obviously networking. Right. Well, it does help. So we we obviously spend as much time as we can promoting our companies. So when people come in, um, we ask for a logo for social media platforms. And when something cool happens, we, we spread the word. Uh, so that's one piece of it. But in addition to that, UEL is a HubSpot for Startups partner. And HubSpot is a CRM platform and an outreach platform. Very simply, it's an inbound marketing platform. And the distinction between inbound and outbound marketing, think of outbound as a push. Um, I want you to buy my product, so I'm going to push some advertising at you. Inbound is a little bit more of, I'm doing something cool. I'm going to spread the word so that you can find me. So what you do instead is you create content, credibility, and people find you as that content is more widely distributed. So we encourage our startups to work with this. It's not the only platform by any means, but it's a really easy way to start. And HubSpot makes it extraordinarily simple for people to get going. In fact, what they do is they provide uh, something like a, it's a free CRM plus a 90% discount on any additional services that you provide it's a sweet deal for startups. Yeah, for sure. Uh, folks, Diane Rucker's with us. She's the executive director of UEL. Uh, so, Diane, I want to get back, if I can, just for a second to the uh, 
startup ecosystem in the Twin Cities because there's one aspect to that that I think is important. And, and because we we often, like the comparison you made to Boston, I mean, sometimes we we, we look at other areas and we see glass half empty. <laughs> let's let's talk about glass half full uh for the twin cities. I mean, what 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 are some of the unique characteristics that you see in the the startup ecosystem in the twin cities that make it so vibrant? Yeah, that's a fantastic question as well. Um to start with, one of the things that I've seen really evolve over the last 3 to 4 years is a focus on diversity and entrepreneurship. And that is something where we're deliberately seeking out people of color, people in underrepresented groups, women, minorities, LGBTQ, people who you don't normally think of as entrepreneurs. Because in the back of our mind, you mention the word entrepreneur and almost inevitably, people go to Steve Jobs or Elon Musk Mm. or Mark Zuckerberg. And that's awesome. But that's not the community that we're serving. So there's a specific outreach to people of color, to underrepresented groups, groups like Beta.mn, groups like Lunar Startups in the Twin Cities, both actively sought out diverse entrepreneurs. And we're doing the same with Generator and UEL. We have some exciting things to announce for this coming fall for our cohort for GBeta MedTech. I can't mention it yet because it hasn't been officially released, but we'll be doing, again, some more active work to seek out a more diverse cohort of entrepreneurs. Well, we won't tell anybody if you just want to go ahead and let us know. But... <laughs> I, I think we'll keep it simple. Okay. okay. Well, we're, we'll have you back when, when, you're, when you're ready to talk about that. How about that? Um, that sounds great. Yeah. I, I don't just want to mention one other thing. Sure. Um, I think one of the challenges for entrepreneurs is seeing others like them and then added to that, figuring out how to get started. Mm. And the Twin Cities has done an extraordinary job of making those resources more visible and more approachable, more accessible across the Twin Cities in greater Minnesota. And the two groups I'd like to call out specifically on that are Launch Minnesota where Neela Mulgard has been working with the state of Minnesota to create essentially a hub model for entrepreneurship across the state that is a connected hub. And you can meet with groups in Southeast Minnesota. You can connect with entrepreneurs in Duluth and Brainerd and Red Wing. It's not an isolated regional community. It's a connected network of entrepreneurs. And suddenly that broadens who's doing this and makes it a little less scary. Um, the second group I'll mention is here in the Twin Cities, and it's a group under greater MSP called Forge North. The idea behind Forge North is that we solve problems better than anywhere else in the world mm. because we have the entrepreneurs, the crazy, passionate people who are willing to dive into a problem, figure out the solution, and understand why it matters. And Forge North is one of Launch Minnesota's partners, as is UEL. But these types of organizations have not only connected entrepreneurs to resources at the stages they need it, but made it visible, made it visible across the state. Now, I want to ask a specific question about diversity. Uh, There have been a lot of studies 
not just one or two, <laughs> a lot of studies that show fairly conclusively that the more diversity you have in a corporation, the better the financial results, returns in the equity markets, et cetera. I mean, by a lot of different measures, diversity helps the overall performance of a, of a corporation. To hear, as I listen to you talk about that, it strikes me that the same can uh, uh, principles uh, can apply to a startup ecosystem. The more diversity you have, the more points of view, the more uh, diverse experiences and backgrounds that you bring to an ecosystem, the better it is for that ecosystem. That's exactly right. Um, regardless of how much each one of us tries, we bring our own implicit biases to the relationships that we build. And the way to counter that is to actively seek out people who look different, who react differently, who have a different set of backgrounds and experiences, or who have an unexpected way of changing the view. Um, and I'll give you an example. Um, we talked a little bit about my background earlier. I have to admit, even to me, it sounds impressive. I have an undergraduate degree from MIT and a master's from Michigan and an MBA from MIT Sloan. What people don't know about me, though, is that my mother is a single parent. I was the first in my generation to go to college, and I wouldn't have been able to attend MIT without some extraordinarily generous financial support because MIT meets 100% of demonstrated financial need. Mm. So what it was is an opportunity for me to change my, to change my path. And that, to me, gives me the perspective on how working hard, how determination and grit can really change the area that you're in, can really change your environment, and how finding the opportunities and taking, making the most of them can be something that applies to all walks of life. So although it appears a very privileged existence and there's elements of it, it's a little scrappier than I think most people see. And Finding, again, those, those people, those viewpoints, those perspectives that are not like yours are what make the ecosystem stronger because you ask a question as to why you would do something and someone points out, why not? Uh, I love it. I love it. Uh, Diane Rucker, Executive Director of UEL. So, uh, okay, I'm a startup or I've got a... Um, uh, an idea that I think makes for a worthy startup. I'm ready to get involved in UEL. How can I do that? <laughs> and I know I'm asking a loaded question. <laughs> yeah. Well, for starters, I will say there's been extraordinary demand for what we offer mm -hmm. over the last year, especially. So UEL is mostly full. Um, that said, we have a waiting list and we always turn spaces over. So if you're looking to grow a technology company, Contact us early, and the best way to do that is through our website, which is www.uelmn.org. Um, another way to do that is to reach out to us personally. Um, you can find me at diane at uelmn.org. And then follow us on social media. We're on LinkedIn and Twitter. A little bit on Instagram. We're working on that. Um, but that's kind of a... It's a chaotic place for us. We're learning as we go. But on Twitter, you can find us at UEL underscore MN. 
And LinkedIn should be easy if you just put in the whole long name, University Enterprise Laboratories. Ah, there you go. Um, we'll we'll circle back, and I will, and we'll have all these in the show notes. By the way, folks. So fantastic. Um, yeah. So uh, take a look there. Um, but what it, what what do you need? I mean, you're you're full right now, but but talk about what your needs are as as an organization, uh, who who you're trying to connect with yourself. Yeah, that's a great question as well, John. Um, so UEL, I mentioned, is an independent incubator. And one of the challenges with that is that we fund many of the mission-related activities that we do through partnerships, through sponsors, through donations. Um, another challenge is that the entrepreneurship ecosystem keeps changing. So what we want to and need to offer to our startups continues to evolve. And so as I look at what UEL needs, I think it really falls into three categories. The first is we need to maintain, strengthen, and grow those connections. The ones that I talked about with BARDA, the ones that I talked about with GAN, and then across the state of Minnesota, as well as the global connections we have. So networks and connections that need space, need incubators, need growing of technology. Um, We appreciate those connections. Uh, Second, we need to understand what the market needs. And the best that we can do that is to talk to our customers and to hear from them. So understanding what the market needs is not just about how we develop lab space, but it's what's that interconnected network of resources that's needed and where is it located? Um, And I bring that back because 2020 for all of us was a time of isolation We see each other over Zoom calls, over Microsoft Teams meetings, telephone calls. We spend more time in our computer chairs than ever before. And as we return to work, I think that that's going to change. I think we'll see even more value in the face-to-face connections. And that comes back to a place like UEL and says, how do we evolve to meet the changing needs of 2021 and beyond? What types of connections do people want to make in person? Do they want to join big events? Do they want to be part of small gatherings? Do they want more targeted connections with investors and entrepreneurs and and very cool thinkers? So as we look at that, we're thinking about how we re-envision UEL as not just a place for startups and lab space, but as a true innovation hub for the development of med tech, biotech, and life sciences. And there's some really interesting discussions in the works. Again, I might have to talk to you again in September or so, but there's an opportunity to reimagine the way we see space and the way we create those active collisions between people who need to see each other and talk to each other. And then third, we can't do this alone, or nor should we do this alone. Mm-hmm. Because UEL as an independent incubator is an awesome space. But UEL with a group of partners, sponsors, and connectors that have a stake in not only our success, but that of our companies in our region, is a much, much stronger entity. So I look forward to building those strong connections, to forging those connections that can help all of us, and to really seeing the explosion of innovation that's taking place in the Twin Cities now. Well, uh, great work, uh, 
Diane Rucker. She's the executive director of UEL, uh, University Enterprise Labs. Uh, Diane, this has been awesome, and I, I could keep going, uh, but uh, <laughs> we're just going to have to uh, agree for you to come back and uh, fill us in on your progress at that point. But uh, let's, again, repeat your coordinates. Make sure folks are aware of how they can get in touch with you uh, as they want to connect. That sounds great. So you can reach us at the website at uelmn.org. And you can also find us on LinkedIn on Twitter under uel underscore mn. And also please feel free to reach out to me directly at either diane at uelmn.org or at startup at uelmn.org, either of which will come to us and we'll be able to help you out. Diane Rucker, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for being with us. Likewise, John, and thank you so much for the invitation to join you. I've enjoyed it very much. Yeah, um, uh, me as well. Thank you. Folks, just a quick reminder and a request. So you can find the show, Minneapolis St. Paul Business Radio. Use that search term on your favorite podcast app. Subscribe, please, if you're not already, have not already done so. And here's my request. I'm boldly asking for a five-star review. Now, I'm not asking for that for me or for Business Radio X. I'm asking for that for our guests. So guests like Diane, great business leaders, and the work that they do, we want them to be found, and we want them to, speaking of connections, to be able to connect with people that need their services, their products, uh, and uh, their, their collaboration. So if you could do that for us, we appreciate it when you when you give us uh, uh, that support through subscribing and through giving us a great review, it helps people find the show and helps those connections to be made uh, for our guests. So we would appreciate it if you would do that. You can find the show, all our show, complete show archive. If you go, uh, one easy URL to use is minnesotabusinessradio.com, and you can find our complete uh, show archive. And so you can check us out there as well. So for my guest, Diane Rucker, I'm John Ray. Join us next time here on Minneapolis-St. Paul Business Radio.